Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church. Before we start, let's prepare by taking a moment of uh, silent prayer, exercising 1 John 1 9 for spiritual preparation. 1 John 1 9, as you know, says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's get right with God the Holy Spirit, and then we'll begin our study. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this opportunity to assemble together with believers in Christ. We trust now that we would lay aside those things that may be vying for our attention so that we can focus on Thee and focus on the doctrine that's before us. We ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I'm going to flash the slides here for those online and here in person. And then I'm going to comment. Uh, I, I have my own observations with regards to the doctrine of endurance. So think of the word endurance as we move through this particular subject. The author says, he starts off by quoting Henry Longfellow. The heights by great men reached and kept were not attained by sudden flight. But they, while their companions slept, were toiling upward in the night. In other words, they were working at night. They were not sleeping. We're looking at the top of uh, page You do. Okay. While their companions slept, were toiling upward in the night. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And Pastor Gene uh, cites several verses here along with some comments. Endurance as a vital factor in the spiritual life. He quotes Hebrews 10.36 where it says, You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what? what was promised, right? And then he quotes Hebrews 12, 1b to 2, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So there's this race set before us, fixing or focusing our eyes on Jesus Christ. Number two, endurance can only be developed or fortified or developed by pushing beyond our present limitations. Romans 5.3, we can also exult in our tribulations, that's the difficulties, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance. It's another word, another word is endurance. And then he cites James 1.3, which we've looked at in the past, knowing that the testing of your faith produces or results in endurance. Number three, endur- spiritual endurance involves patient waiting. For the will of God. Give me one second here. Okay, so that's number three. Spiritual endurance involves patient waiting for the will of God to be fulfilled in us by the word of God. And then Psalms 119.32, I shall run the way of your commandments for you shall enlarge my heart. In other words, build endurance in me. And then a few more here. I'll look at just uh, up to seven. He quotes Isaiah forty thirty one, which says, Yet those who wait, who sit still, not moving, those who wait for God will gain new strength and they will mount up with wings like eagles and they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. So this whole idea of being fatigued, tired will not be something that we will experience to those who wait for God. I think the reason why we're fatigued and tired is because we fail to wait. 
We're impatient. We give up on God. Hebrews 6.15, And so, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. Number four, endurance is the key to the abundant life. John 15.9, he cites, Just as the Father loved me, I also have loved you, so now abide or endure in what? My love, in his love. And it's always linked to his word. His love and his word are usually connected together. You can't separate the two. If you abide in his word, you're abiding in his love. If you're abiding in his love, it's connected to his word. Number five, endurance is the key to eternal reward. He doesn't give up, he doesn't bestow rewards to those who give up easily. It's always going to be the result of patience, ongoing endurance, fortification of the soul, moving forward, not retracting, not advance, not standing still, but always endurance in his word, in his will, in his way, obedience. So it's the key to eternal reward. If we endure, we will what? We will reign with him. If we don't endure, we won't reign with him. That's linked to the 1,000-year millennium. The rewards bestowed upon those who are enduring in the faith will be the will be rewarded. Those people, those individuals will receive the co-ruling and co-reigning with Christ. You find this in 2 Timothy 2.12, as well as a few other books of the New Testament, ultimately climaxing in the book of Revelation, where he talks about co-reigning with Christ during the 1,000 years. So it's not going to happen to just any believer. It's going to be the direct result of those who endure in the faith. So that's... Number five is really all about. Number six, endurance is the result of keeping one's eyes on Christ, on eyes focused on Jesus. He cites Hebrews 12, Hebrews 11. 12 says, one through three, let us run with, there's that word again, endurance, patience, fixing or focusing our eyes on Jesus, not getting derailed, derailed, not getting focused on other things like the distractions of life, but focusing and fixing our eyes on one person and one person only. Who's the one person? Jesus Christ. You have to look and focus on him. Now, we can't see him in person, right? So how do we look at him? Through his word. You look at his word and you know about Christ. You only learn about Christ through his word. Not through prayer, not through going to church, but getting grounded in his word. Going to church helps, especially if the church teaches Bible doctrine and his word. But if you go to a church that's playing other things like um, games, dog and pony show, you're not going to learn anything uh, related to his word. But you must fix your eyes on Christ, not the distractions of life. And unfortunately, a lot of people go that route. And we have to learn how to fixate our eyes on Christ. He cites Hebrews 11, 27. By faith, he, now referring to Moses, left Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. So imagine this, and I'm going to talk about this in just just a little bit. I'm going to touch briefly, but let's while he cites this here, let's just think about what he said here. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. What's that mean? You ever thought about that? Who was he focused on? Who was Moses focused on?
Yes, God. So he hasn't seen God, but his eyes were focused on him who is unseen. So if it can happen to Moses, we can we can follow suit. So when we're distracted, when we're going through hardship, trials, we can endure as we know God through his word. This is the reason why we study his word. This is the reason why we gather around his word and learn his word, because that's the only way we have a quote-unquote experience with God. It's not by having a retreat. It's not by going to the top of mountaintops. That doesn't hurt, but... We can have a real experience with God by what? Opening your word. Opening the Bible. Have a Bible on hand. So that's how you can have a true experience with God. It's not a mountaintop experience or a retreat experience. It's opening the Bible and knowing him through his word. Number seven, consider a distance, distant runner's perspective and apply it to the life of faith. So now, a friend of mine was asking if I can... Um, locate some information on lordship salvation and so as i was looking for information on lordship salvation i happened upon some things with regards to my notes here i'm going to read it afterwards but this is we're going to read my notes here on the slide or on the screen here so dictionary.com i don't recommend always using online resources like wikipedia or dictionary.com like i did here because it's not always accurate, especially when you're quoting things that relate to biblical terms. It's always important to go to, like, Bible dictionary, uh, biblical theolo- theological dictionaries that will give you the... Uh, Mike, what, what dictionaries are you called to use at, at Schaefer? What's the latest... Uh, like, for theology, is it still Vines? Is it, or do, what do you use for just Bible terms? We had a lot of books that we had to use for defining terms, not Wikipedia or anything like that. Was it Vines or was it Mounts' Theological? Do you have? Okay, BDAG. Okay, very good. So don't do what I'm doing here. This is just, I wanted you to see what dictionary.com says. It's not bad. This is how they define endurance. It's the ability or strength to continue or last, especially despite fatigue Stress or other adverse conditions. In other words, stamina. That's fair. That's reasonable for a uh, definition. Or you can take the Bible's definition, which is a collection of where you find the word endurance or patience. In your Bible, some of you might have in the very back what's called a concordance. Do you, do you have that? You can also do, um, you can look up words based on where the Bible, the word is found. And every time you find that word, you go, cross-reference it and go back into Scripture and look at the context and see how it's used. And that'll give you a sense of what the meaning of the word means. Okay, So you can use that. That's also another option. What, what I've seen is that it defines, the Bible defines endurance as the capacity to persist, to remain steadfast, and to maintain faithfulness in the face of trials, okay? Challenges or suffering. It involves patiently enduring difficulties with a sense of resilience. Trusting in God's promises and relying on his strength, not yours. To navigate through adversity. Endurance is often linked with virtues like patience, perseverance, and steadfastness, forming a crucial aspect of the Christian journey. 
Biblical teachings emphasize that enduring trials can lead to spiritual growth, maturity, and deeper reliance on God's sustaining grace. So that's the sense that I've gotten over the course of time with regards to the word endurance. That's a chock full of information here. That's what he wants us to do. And I'm going to cite some some witnesses on the stand in just a moment again. Okay. That's dictionary.com. Hi, Mike. Let's see. Let's look at some examples now. Some gentlemen here from the scriptures. We'll start with Job. Job's endurance is shown as he faces immense suffering and trust and loss, actually. Despite the trials, he remains faithful and perseveres, ultimately being rewarded with restoration and even deeper understanding of God's sovereignty. So let me, let me read you what I pulled up from my notes from New Testament literature. So listen to this. You may have, you might remember this or maybe this might be new to you, but listen to what Job went through. For example, Job actually lost his wealth. He was a wealthy man, but he lost all his possessions, including livestock, servants, and a series of raids and natural disasters. This happened to Job. He lost his family. He he lost his sons and daughters. They were killed when a great wind collapsed on the house when they were gathered together. So the family was together, and a wind collapsed the house. And guess what? He lost his sons and daughters. He had personal affliction, Job. He experienced physical suffering. He was afflicted with painful sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Where's where's the sole of your foot? Right on the bottom of your foot. Can you imagine having sores from the sole of the foot to the top of your head? Underneath your beanie, there? Boils. Top to bottom. Talk about affliction. He had isola- He had problems. He had isolation and rejection. Did you know that? Job faced emotional suffering as as friends and even his wife struggled to understand his plight, leading to a sense of isolation and rejection. It's all by himself. Yet throughout these trials, Job, Job remained steadfast in his faith. Despite questioning and expressing his anguish, he did not curse God. He didn't get mad at God. The story of Job is often cited as an example of enduring faith in the midst of profound suffering, illustrating how one can maintain trust in God even in the face of inexplicable hardship. So think of Job, okay? And you go through hardship when we think of the doctrine of enduring. Much different from dictionary.com. Let's look at Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul endures intense persecution for his faith. We all have faith here, including imprisonments, beatings, and shipwrecks. Yet he remains steadfast. There's that word steadfast again that I love. Spreading the gospel and encouraging believers through his letters. His endurance fosters the growth of the early Christian church. There's a few more things I'd like to highlight with regards to the Apostle Paul. Persecution. Paul experienced intense persecution 
for his role in spreading the Christian message. He faced opposition, imprisonment, and physical harm due to his commitment to preaching the gospel. He was committed, and yet he, he advanced the gospel. Nothing stopped him. Paul was imprisoned multiple times for his faith. And he wrote several letters in the New Testament known as the prison epistles while in captivity. Why is it called prison epistles? He's in prison. He wrote his best letters, a lot of his best letters in prison. How are you if you're in jail? Anybody who sat in jail? All of us, right? Well, he did some of his best writings in jail called the prison epistles. How about shipwrecks? What do we know about shipwrecks? We've heard of Paul having shipwrecks, right? What's that all about? Shipwrecks. When you think, yeah, what's that mean? You know that Paul had. Okay. Paul faced dangers at sea, including being shipwrecked multiple times, not once, multiple times during his travels for missionary work. Missionary work. What's a missionary do? They go out there to spread the good news, the gospel, right? He was shipwrecked multiple times, not once, multiple times, as he was being a missionary, as he was representing God. That requires a lot of commitment. I mean, he was put in jail. He was persecuted. He was shipwrecked. You would think he would say, well, maybe this isn't, God, this isn't God's call for me. Everything seems like a closed door. Every time I do something for God, I'm being harassed. Thrown in jail. Shipwrecked. Okay, are you getting my attention, God? What about physical suffering? How did Paul suffer physically? My estate? Yeah, I think he was. I do recall being bitten by a snake. Yeah. It's a king cobra. There are hints in his letters that Paul dealt with physical ailments, though the specifics are not detailed. He's, the most common one and the most popular one is called the thorn in the flesh. Right? Second Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. And what did he do? He pleaded with God. How many times? Was it removed? What was the cause of the... Anybody know what the cause was? There is a cause. There is a reason. It's a, Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. A lot of people kind of... Huh? That's true, Mike. His faith is perfected. But let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 12. And I think... Some of us kind of forget this, or we don't see what's there, but it's there. Let's observe. 2 Corinthians 12. It is doubtless, I'm looking at verse 1, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one was caught up in the third heaven. I know such a man, whether in the body or not, of the body I do not know. God knows, verse 4, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. 
Of such one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. Though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. For I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest, listen to this, verse 7, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. What's that mean? It was, the thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I exalt, I be exalted above measure. Anybody have an uh, NLT translation just to, okay, what does your say? To keep me from exalting myself. What's another word for that? Arrogance. Conceited. What's that, Vanessa? Pride. So the, the thorn in the flesh was given to him to keep him humble so that his pride would not get away. I got all these revelations, these visions. I got this over you guys. But that, that thorn in the flesh was designed to keep him humble. It's right there. That's the reason why Paul had this thorn in the flesh. This is why God gave him this discomfort. Some say it's an eye ailment. A lot of theologians and scholars would, would say that this is a, an eye, eye ailment. We don't really know. But what we do know is that it was given to keep him humble. That was something that God bestowed upon Paul. And Paul pleaded three times, but God said, no. You need this to keep you humble. So, anybody have any thorns in the flesh? Well, let's go on. I I don't want to pick on you. So, uh, this is Paul. Let's move forward. Now we have on the witness stand Abraham. Famous Abraham. Abraham's endurance is displayed through years of waiting for the promised son. What's his name? Isaac. He trusts in God's faithfulness even when it seems unlikely. Eventually, his endurance or his patience is rewarded as God fulfills his promise. Let me read my notes on Abraham. Here's what I pulled up. He had to leave his homeland. God called Abraham to leave his homeland and go to a place that God would show him. So think about that. God asking you to relocate. This required leaving behind familiarity and stepping into the unknown. Barrenness and promise of descendants. Abraham and his wife struggled with infertility for many years. Despite this, God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. They had to endure years of waiting for the fulfillment of this promise. Number three, the sacrifice of Isaac. You guys remember that story? I'm sorry, it's not posted here on the slides up in front. I'm reading my own notes that I printed out before I came here. If you want them, I can send these to you. But uh, what happened with the with that Isaac, sacrifice of Isaac? Anybody remember some of the details here? Took him to a mountain. Anybody remember what 
what gate, what cue he, clue he left that he was coming back? Yeah, he told the servants that he's coming back, right? We'll be back. So that's already a big clue right there. So regarding Isaac, one of the most profound tests of Abraham's faith was when God asked him to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. Though challenging, Abraham demonstrated his unwavering trust in God. In the end, God provided a ram as a substitute for the sacrifice. There's a struggle with family dynamics. Abraham faced family challenges, including conflicts between Sarah and Hagar, the mother of Ishmael, and the complexities that arose from having children, though different mothers. The the dynamics there, family dynamics. And despite these trials, Abraham is celebrated in the Bible for his faith. The book of Hebrews, for example, highlights Abraham as a model of faith who obeyed and went. Listened to God and went forward, even though he did not know where he was going. You find this in Hebrews 11.8. Abraham's life illustrates perseverance, obedience to God, and trust in the divine promises. Again, this is collectively showing us how to endure. We're gleaning off the examples that set forth by the men who were who lived out their endurance in a in the scriptures. Next we have Jesus, of course. Jesus exemplifies endurance in various ways. He endures temptation in the wilderness, Matthew chapter four. Remaining faithful to God's will, he also endures betrayal, rejection, and crucifixion, all while displaying unwavering love and forgiveness. A couple thoughts on regard, with regards to Jesus. As far as his human experience, he was fully divine and fully human. We've been covering this the last few weeks. He experienced the limitations and challenges of human life, including hunger, fatigue, and the range of human emotions. He had opposition and rejection throughout his ministry. Jesus faced opposition from religious leaders and others who rejected his teachings and questioned even his authority. Betrayal, one of Jesus' closest disciples, Judas Iscariot, betrayed him to the religious authorities leading to his arrest. We have his arrest and trial. Jesus underwent a series of trials, including before the Jewish Sanhedrin and the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. He faced false accusations, but remained silent during much of the proceedings. He held his tongue. Then, crucifixion. The most significant aspect of Jesus' suffering was his crucifixion. He endured the physical agony, the humiliation, and the weight of the sins of of humanity on the cross. Then we have the spiritual agony On the cross, Jesus experienced a sense of abandonment, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, 46, expressing the profound spiritual dimension of his suffering. And then lastly, death. Jesus ultimately experienced physical death on the cross, fulfilling the redemptive purpose of his sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And despite these intense trials and suffering, a believer, a Christian belief is that Jesus' death on the cross was not the end. The resurrection three days later is the central element of the Christian faith, symbolizing victory over sin and death, providing us hope. 
and his endurance through suffering is a fundamental aspect of the Christian narrative and is often referred to as the passion of Christ. That's who we follow. I said recently, I think last Sunday, he's the prototype, right? We follow him. We follow what he has done. So now we have Moses as the last one. Moses exhibits endurance as he leads the Israelites out of Egypt through the wilderness for 40 years. And despite their complaints and rebellion, Moses remains patient, relying on God's guidance and interceding for the people. So some some thoughts on Moses as a reminder. His exile and adoption. Moses was born during a time when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. Due to a decree to kill a male Hebrew... Hebrew infants, Moses' mother placed him in a basket in the Nile River and he was later found and adopted by Pharaoh's daughter growing up in the royal palace. Some awareness of his heritage. Despite being raised in Pharaoh's palace, Moses became aware of his Hebrew lineage or heritage. This awareness led to a sense of conflict and later influenced his actions in defense of his fellow Israelites. He flee, fleeing Egypt. After killing an Egyptian who was mistreating an Israelite, Moses fled to the land of Midian to escape Pharaoh's wrath. And of course, we, you'll recall the burning bush. He had an encounter with God in the burning bush. In Midian, Moses encountered God at the burning bush, receiving a divine call to return back to Egypt and lead the Israelites out of slavery. This calling involved confronting Pharaoh and demanding the release of the Hebrews. Then you had this resistance and plagues. Pharaoh resisted Moses' demands, leading to a series of ten plagues sent by God as signs and judgments. Moses had to endure the challenges of dealing with a stubborn ruler. Leading the Israelites in the wilderness, Moses led the Israelites through the wilderness, facing various challenges as scarcity of food, Water, grumbling among the people, and external threats. How many people were, how many Israelites were there in the wilderness? A couple million? Three and a half, some say three and a half, some say up to six or seven million. Imagine having a grumbling three to six million people behind you, complaining about food, complaining about manna from heaven, water, lack of water, and you're the leader. So he was leading Israelites into the wilderness, and they had all these threats. They faced various challenges, scarcity of food, water, grumbling, and so on. Intercession for the people, Moses. Moses often interceded on behalf of the Israelites, seeking God's mercy and forgiveness, even when the people rebelled or strayed from God's commands. What happened when they disobeyed? How did God discipline them? You guys remember? Fiery serpents. What? Okay, they they were all gathered together, and what were they doing? They were hopping up and down because of the fiery serpents, right? What was the solution? What was the antidote to those who were bit by the? Yeah, to look up at the staff, and what was at the end of the staff? The serp, the the one that was biting them. 
You complain, oh, okay, look at the one that's biting him. So the, the resolve was the problem itself, the serpent. But you know, let's turn, let's turn to John 3. There's something that is very, very important for us to see. Because this ties with salvation. John chapter 3. Verse 14. And see if you can tell me what's here. John chapter 3, 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So what do you see here in 14 and 15? What we should believe? Very good. So it's a one-time transaction. One-time transaction. All you have to do is look one time. So Jesus speaking, because it's in red, right? If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, but that doesn't really mean it's Jesus, but it is. Most Bibles have this in red. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So in here in 14 and 15, the Lord equates belief with looking at him. One time. You look to him, one time, you are saved, eternal life. So Jesus is equating the lifting up of the serpent with belief. Whoever believes in him, as Moses lifted up the serpent, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so this passage, of course, is anchored in Numbers 21, 8 through 9. So if you look closely there, I think that's a very forceful argument for belief in Jesus Christ for eternal life. All you have to do is look at him one time, not over and over and over, but one time and you have eternal life based on the words of Christ himself. So now let me just uh, highlight a few things with regards to Moses here. So again, uh, intercession for the people. Moses often interceded on behalf of the Israelites seeking God's mercy and forgiveness even when the people rebelled or strayed from God's commands. It's the last thing I said. Not entering the promised land. This is very interesting. Despite leading the Israelites to the edge of the promised land, Moses did not enter it. You guys remember why? What was the reason? Why did he not enter it? He struck the rock. How many times were, did he? Two issues with the rock. Right? There's two instances, Exodus and Numbers. The first one is in Exodus. The second instance is in Numbers 20. Both relate to the rock. So, first instance in Rephidim, God told Moses to strike the rock for water. 
And uh, so in Numbers 20, you also have another rock situation where he told them to speak to it. There's one that he says, strike the rock once. And the other time he said, speak to the rock. And out of frustration, Moses said no. Why was he upset? The people were arguing against Moses. They were mad at Moses. They were no longer listening to Moses. They were a little fed up with Moses and his leadership. And so they were trying to beat him up verbally. Unfortunately, Moses got frustrated and said, I'm tired of this. And so he vents out on the commands of God. So they did not make it into the promised land. So Moses' life is characterized by endurance, faithfulness to God's call, and the challenges of leading a rebellious and often ungrateful people. So his story is foundational in the biblical narrative, illustrating themes of leadership, obedience, and reliance on God. Even though they were upset at him, he still had to trust in God, in spite of the several million people behind his back. He still had to follow through and follow God, regardless of whether or not he had support. He followed through, and he was successful in the time that he was their leader. But unfortunately, we can also see that sometimes, as human people, as humans who have a sin nature and uh, can easily get frustrated or flustered, he can give up too, which he did in some sense. So the, these biblical examples define, here's the word, in context the meaning and highlight the importance of endurance in the face of adversity and the rewards that come from remaining faithful to God. So I'm, I'm specifically saying the importance of enduring or defining in context the meaning because words don't mean anything unless there's a context. There has to be words before it and after it. Otherwise, you can make it say anything you want. So context, context, context is king. Right, Mike? They drill that over and over, right? Especially context is everything. So that's why I said the meaning of endurance, biblically speaking, has to be supported with scripture. And so when you carry it through the book, you have some ideas what endurance means. That's why you get dictionary.com. Give you their definition. It's kind of like in spite of fatigue, in spite of um, being tired, you persevere. That's a general understanding of endurance. But when you link that to what the Bible teaches, the examples that set forth in the Word, it, it you can definitely see that there's staying power. And who's the? How do we have this endurance? How do we push through even though we feel like giving up? What do we see in these uh, examples of these men here? What kept them going? They kept their eyes on the Lord. What's that, Mike? Uh, Scott? Maintain their faith, but what is it that they're looking at? They have faith. What keeps them going? Because we need that from time to time. We need a reminder. That's why this is all, the subject is endurance. How many times do you feel like just giving up, throwing a towel in? You say, well, you know what? I'm saved anyways. All right. I'm saved anyways, right there? We'll be in heaven. Why do I have to endure all this? So how do we keep going? How do we have this endurance? 
Motivation comes from Christ. That's right. The focus, just like these men here, were always on the invisible. Always on God. If it wasn't Jesus Christ, it was God. It was always etched in God. It's their relationship with Him. Fortification comes from Him. You could have a heritage that could have been royalty. You could have been, you didn't have to be a slave, but He said, no, I know my origin. I know where I really belong. I'm of the people of God. And so He followed that. He thought that was the right thing to do. And likewise, our relationship is not of this world. Even though we're in this world, we're not of this world, as many times we hear it, we've heard it said. We're in this world, but not of it. And we have to remind ourselves from time to time, we represent him up there, down here. And as long as we fixate our minds on that and recognize that we're all going through hardship, we're all going through difficulties, the endurance that comes through the word of God, through faith alone and Christ alone, coupled with the horsepower which comes from God, the Holy Spirit, can keep us going if our eyes are focused on him, which comes as a direct result of faith in his word. You don't have faith in his word, you might as well hang it up. You can't go on without faith in God and his word because you're going to get derailed. The challenges of life will knock you over unless you have faith in him and recognize that he can cause things to work. But you have to trust him. Otherwise, you're just you're fooling yourself. So the truth is, we get hit hard. We're in church. We go to class. Yeah, we get hit. You can memorize all the verses you want, but if you don't really believe it, it ain't going to work. You don't know how many times people say, well, I pray all the time. I pray hard. I pray." What do you mean you pray hard? It's not about how hard you pray. What does that mean? People say, I pray really hard. What do you mean? Do you clench your fish? What's it mean to pray hard? Scott, what's it mean to pray hard? I'm serious. My intense focus. They say they pray hard and they... they is that biblical? I don't think it is. I think what's biblical is if you survey the men that we've looked at today, tonight, and look at their examples and how they weathered the shipwrecks, the beatings, the crucifixion, and the list goes on and on, the betrayal, you discover that they were able to, they were able to make it when they would focus on one thing only. Mike, your message was really good last Sunday, the pressing on. That whole idea was kind of lines up with this. Pressing on, leaving those things behind. Because sometimes when you focus on the things in the past, it'll bog you down. People say, well, in high school I was like this and this and that. So what? Put that behind you. We all have a past in some sort. So stop, leave those things behind and live now for God. The only person that would want you to dwell on the past is Satan, the adversary. Don't do that. Live for him now. Make up for those things if you want to look at it that way. Just live hard for God. But stop dwelling on the past. Advance and move forward. That's what it's all about. I think a lot of Christians these days get so fixated on their past that they say, well, does God really forgive me because I did A, B, C, D? Yeah, but he also allowed his son to pay for A, B, C, D. So stop being arrogant. And thinking about your past as if that can over overshoot the grace of God. It can't. Yes, sir. Yeah, there might be a lot of things that we're not aware of, Scott. But I 
I can't question the sovereignty or you know, God. I mean, every child is different. I mean, if you have several children, you deal with them differently too. So Moses was a man of um, great leadership qualities, and yet God thought um, what he did warranted no promised land. So he did well, but he blundered too. So there might be some things that's not recorded in Scripture for us to see why God did what he did. But it was bad enough for him to say, nope, no go. So just like all of us, I mean, how many of us have said, can't believe God allowed us to escape again? Or this time around. But he's gracious. And yet, there are times when he won't be so gracious. He allows us to learn things. Sometimes painful. But each child is different. Vanessa, were you raising your hand? Or was that Mike? Yeah, that's true. And he's re- he, and he was also in the Hall of Faith. He's in the Hall of Faith. Not bad. Were you going to say something, Mike? A dead body. Oh, in uh, Jude? You're talking about in Jude? Oh, Moses. Okay, okay we've got uh, 10 minutes. So I, I think that's where we're going to stop for tonight. I don't have anything else to say, but... Uh, Let's open it up for some discussion here. Anybody online have any thoughts or comments? Let's see who's online. I know there was a few from California. Oh, we have seven people. Let's see. Yes. No, I uh, I have a friend who's asking for information on lordship. And then as I was looking for the information, I came across some of my notes on New Testament. So I've still got to send the person some information on that. I've been... This week has been quite hectic for me. Corrine is in Florida. So, so I'll have to apologize to my friend and see if he'll extend grace to me for a few more days. So any thoughts or comments? Let's talk about uh, this endurance thing. How can we have more endurance based on the figures that we've looked at tonight? Who can you ad- identify with most? That's right. You cannot endure. You're right, you cannot endure. So if the church is not teaching the word of God, then you're, you're short-circuiting the members of the church and they can't grow, they can't learn how to apply the word to life. And so that's um, important. Yes, you have to believe the... Right. You know, we're, we're living in a, a culture in a day and age where everything has to be quickly done. So when we pray, we want things to be done right away. So that confuses our time with God, the timing of God. We think that we can just pray and it'll be done tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. One thing that I I do recall from seminary days is that it was profound when I first heard it. See if I can remember it now. Um, The people in the Bible would be surprised if when they pray, they would not receive what they prayed for. But today, people pray and they're surprised if their prayers are answered. And that's a big difference. In the Bible days, in the ancient world, during the times of Christ, and even during the Old Testament, if they would pray to God, 
they would be surprised if God would not answer their prayer. Whereas today, the Christian today is surprised if God answers the prayers. It's the reverse. Here we are, we're indwelt by God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we sometimes wonder, will God really answer my prayer? I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, oh my God, that's so profound. They are surprised if God would not answer their prayers. We're surprised if he does. Think about that. I think there's some truth to that. There's a... Yes. Yes. I, I, I Misdirected prayer. And I, like I've said before, I think our prayer life would be radically changed if we knew the word of God. Uh, an example would be, and I've used this in some of my studies during the week, and I don't mean to knock anybody in a particular denomination, but sometimes you, in some systems of faith, you'll hear people pray, oh, Holy Spirit, we invite you to our church. We invite you to our church. Fill us with your spirit. Have you heard that before? Fill us with your spirit. We welcome you. Is there anything wrong with that? That's right. Where is he? He's right here. He's here. He's there. He's in you. He's in me. So if you know what the scripture has to say about the Holy Spirit, for example, you don't have to pray for him to join you. You don't have to ask him to join your church, fill you with the spirit because he's already in you. The only way we are to be filled with the Spirit is what? 1 John 1, 9. If you grieve him, you negate the power. Is he still in you? Yes. He never left you. But he's not filling. He's not filled you. He's not empowering you. The filling of the Spirit has to do with power. Empowerment, walking, and power that comes from him, third person of the Trinity. So he never leaves you. He never, he never unindwells you. He always remains in you. But the filling is the only ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, that you can lose. That vacillates all the time. Because if you commit sin, you grieve, you quench the Holy Spirit, you're no longer filled, you're no longer influenced, you're no longer empowered. So those doctrines are critical for the believer. You must know the difference between the indwelling and the filling. If you blur the two, you're going to be very confused. You're going to pray for the wrong thing. Fill us with your spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. And so if you're saying, fill us with your spirit, fill us with your spirit, now you're praying for the wrong thing. It's misdirected, misguided. That shows God that you don't even know what you're praying for. For me, if I want to be filled with the spirit, what do I have to do? First John 1, 9. I don't have to have Scott pray for me. I don't have to have Mike pray for me or Theron pray for me or Rick pray for me. I just have to make sure I'm in right standing with God, the Holy Spirit, through First John 1, 9. Because if I come in here and I've grieved him, I can come all the way up here to the pulpit, and as long as I did not make my peace with God, the Holy Spirit, I'm not filled. Am I indwelt? Yes, I never lost that. But I lost his influence, I lost his empowerment. Because prior to coming here at the, in the parking lot, I saw Mike and I said, Mike. I got mad at Mike, and so... I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. I, unless I fix that, I'm not going to be filled with the Spirit, and I'm going to be talking out of my hat. I'm going to be talking out of my hand, just, hey, guys, how you doing? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord there, kumbaya. No direct direction from God, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yes, Debbie? Get somebody. Yeah. And, and knowing what he's praying for, I think he knows that he's about to be... Um, receiving the sins of the world. That's huge. 
So knowing that, in fact, his prayer before that was, if it's possible, remove this cup. But if not, your will be done, not mine. So you can tell that his prayers were focused around, okay, this event's going to be huge. I'm about to take on the sins of the world on my person. And there's going to be a time where I'm going to be, the, the backs of the Father and the Holy Spirit are going to turn on me. So the very, for the very first time in all eternity, there's going to be a betrayal. I'm going to sense this betrayal. And so I think, yeah, that would be an example of praying hard from Jesus. But we also know the content of what he's praying for. I mean, none of us have to endure that kind of. But, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I think, okay, I'll retract that, Debbie. I, I'm not saying that we can't pray hard, but maybe the word is, it would be better if we use the word more concentrated or focused. Because I hear a lot of people would say, oh, I, got, I pray so hard, what, when in fact what they're saying is they, they're nonstop praying, ongoing, almost like the more they pray, the more they're going to receive, but nothing's happening. And so it's like they want me to pray on top of their hard prayer. And it's like, well, I wonder how they're praying and what are they praying for? You know, do they start with First John 1, 9? Are they, do they understand the dynamics of praying properly? Because a lot of times people just jump right in and pray when we, as a body of believers, we know that we start with confession of sin. And I think that's critical because if you dive right in and just say, hey, uh, Lord, can you help me out with this? Without first being respectful with confessing your sins first, I think that's problematic. So I think there's a protocol to even approaching the throne of grace. So praying hard physically, sure. We can say, let's squeeze our hands like this and, okay, Lord, I'm really praying. I'm really giving. I'm casting my cares upon you. I'm batalking it on you, Lord, and I'm just giving it. Yeah, sure. But I think if we know the dynamics and what the Bible says, we should pray. We should go to him in prayer, First John 1, 9, cast our cares upon him. Why? Because he cares. Give it all to him. But I don't think the, the intensity of my words are going to make a difference. I think, can I intensify my words? Sure. I might be bothered by something. Someone might be in the hospital. So my tone of voice might be raised because of the seriousness of of what's going on. But honestly speaking, I don't, for me personally, I'm not saying any of you, it, I, when I approach God, I don't, my prayer life isn't, um, it doesn't change based on what it is I'm praying for. I had an uncle that was in the hospital. I think I mentioned this recently. He was dying of COVID. And, uh, I told the church in California, I said, you know, my uncle is on a ventilator. And I said, it's pretty serious, and I, I don't know if he's saved. So if you don't mind, after church, I'm going to go to the hospital right after this. I won't be able to stay around. And would you please pray and uh, that I'd be able to meet him before I um, be able to share the gospel before I leave this room. And through a series of events, since we have a few minutes here, right, Scott? We have a few minutes. Can I share this? Maybe I didn't share this. Um, I had a nurse in our church who called in. This is COVID time at its peak. 
And the nurse told me, you know what, you can't just go in there unless you have a um, vaccine and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, have your mask and so on. And because um, he has COVID, he's probably going to be in an isolated room in ICU. You're probably not going to be able to enter. But let me call someone there and see if I can get you in. So they call, She called. She met. She contacted someone. I'm just going to make up the name because I don't remember. Her name is Jenny. And so talk to Jenny at uh, Spiritual Care. So I go there and was met uh, with the lady at the front desk of the hospital and I said, uh, I'm here to see Jenny, um, health care or spiritual care. And she said, okay, um, do you have your vaccine, your latest vaccine? I said, I'm sorry, I don't. Okay, I'm sorry, we can't let you in. I said, well, I was told to meet her here. Can I just at least see her? This is from uh, a nurse at my church, very important. So she said, well, go talk to the, the security guard there. So I went to the security guard and I said, I'm here to see Jenny in spiritual care. And I said, sir, do you have your vaccine? Or anything I said uh, sorry I don't okay let me call who Jenny spiritual care so they call spiritual care no such department so the security guard calls his manager or his supervisor there's a pastor here that uh, needs to see a guy in uh, ICU 9 or whatever and supposedly a, a Jenny from spiritual care told him to meet her here and I can hear the, the guy in the other side of the phone saying, uh, maybe um, pastoral care? And I said, Jenny from pastoral care? Can you check? And he said, well, we don't even have a Jenny there either. And uh, so I said, okay, well, someone told me to meet her here. And a nurse made contact with her. And I drove all the way from my church to be here because he's in critical care. So he said, I'm sorry. And I can hear him say, tell him as long as he doesn't have a vaccine and any proof of vaccine, he can't see someone in ICU. So, would you, wouldn't you know it? The guy in the security guy said, look man, he, I gave him my card, I'm a pastor, my uncle's in, in ICU, and I gave him the name, and he goes, look, took the name, he drew, he sketched out in ICU where, how to get there, he goes, I can't hold a pastor back from praying. Go ahead and go. He goes, uh, if, you, if they give you any hassle, let them know that Theron sent you. I said, okay. So I went in. I go in there, and they, before I go into the room, the nurse said, um, gown up. Got to put a mask on. Put a gown on. It's a vacuum room, so just push it in, and it'll automatically suck the door closed. I said, okay, thank you. And I was like, all this time, I'm like, Lord, thank you. I go in there, and my uncle's like um, assisted through a ventilator. I can hear his chest move. And I go, uncle. He goes, this is Freddie. All I can hear, I think he heard me. So I said, Uncle, you're in critical condition. I'm going to pray for you, but I have something to share. And I hit him with John 3.60, and I put his name in there like I normally do. For God so love, Uncle, he was only begotten son. And if Uncle will believe, Uncle will not perish, but Uncle will have everlasting life. Can you? Did you hear me, Uncle? I know you can hear me. You don't have to say anything. I'm just going to pray for you. And I'll be back. Hopefully, everything will be fine. And when I come back, I'll explain everything to you. Okay, Uncle? I left. And on the way home, my sister texts me. Uncle passed. I said, oh, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to just go through the hoops and just... Jenny was never a real person, I guess. So we never knew who this person was. 
So the my nurse friend said that uh, she's going to follow up and see what happened to her friend. And I said, well, that's okay because I'm just glad I was able to share it with my uncle. So that's how God works. You just don't give up. You just, you know, through a series of events, when you have little examples like Abraham, Moses, and all these others in your own personal life, then your confidence in him skyrockets. When you see how God works in your own personal life, you don't depend on this anymore. Of course you depend on the word of God. But the purpose for the word of God is so that you will trust God. You have God's word exhibited and displayed in Genesis to Revelation so that you will trust him. When you trust him and you have moments like that, then when you go through another crisis, you're going to be able to say, don't you remember what I did for your uncle? Oh, yeah. So why are you stressing out? I'm not. Now I can faith rest to the fullest degree. The Bible's there to help jumpstart our faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You take the word of God, consistently study it, inculcate the doctrines that are there, and then as you build your confidence in God and his word, then you are able to execute faith in him. Because the truth is, like you said, uh, Laura, sometimes it's just so hard to trust God, right? To take his promises and just trust him. Okay, okay, maybe. I'll, yeah, that's the answer, right? And so, but sometimes it's hard because we're in the midst of a crisis and now depending on the severity of it, you sit there and say, can God really help me in this? And so people stop right here at the edge of the cliff. God could have saved you right before you went over the cliff, but because you stopped, and how does it look like to stop? When you panic, when you get mad, when you get frustrated, all of a sudden you negate faith. I think a lot of us forget that. We sit there and we say, oh, okay, I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm casting my cares upon you. You stop right there. You get mad. You take the problem back. That's what it looks like. People say, I trust God. I trust God. I pray. You get to the very end and then you panic. You take the problem back. That's what it is. That's what you, what it looks like when you take your problem back. You take it back when you react. You either react or what's the other word? Respond. Are you responding in faith or reacting out of emotions? So you react when you go to the very end and say, oh yeah, oh my gosh, Lord. You know, where are you, Lord? You said, You'll cause everything to work together for good. Then you get mad. Now you reacted. That's no longer responding. You took the problem back into your own hands. Right then and there. You negate God stepping in to execute his Romans 8.28 in your life. So let's close here. Otherwise, we're going to go for another few hours. Marty's on. Marianne's on. Rod, I, Rod, Rudy, Steve, Karen. Any thoughts or comments from you guys? You can unmute your mic and let's see if we can hear you properly. Yeah, Pastor. Yes, Rudy. He, he answered all the mm-hmm. That's true. Right. Well, that's very good, Rudy. Um, I'm sure um, many can appreciate that, but I'm also sure that some may not see it exactly like that. So we can certainly trust God, and you're right, we just have to take everything that happens to us as an answer to his prayer, and He our, our prayer, actually, 
and he will answer in his way. It's up to him how he wants to answer us since he is our heavenly father and we can trust that he's going to do what is right. As the scripture says, the God of this universe will do what is right. And so even though we may not understand why he answers the way that he does, he will always do what is right. We have uh, assurance of that. So having said that, if nobody else have, has any thoughts or comments online, I'll close in prayer. And uh, if you want the notes, I can email them to you. Just let me know and I'll send them out to you, the notes that I was reading from with the, uh, the saints from yesteryear. But for now, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you as always for giving us this opportunity to study your word and to glean off the men from the Old Testament and even some in the New Testament who exhibited endurance amidst the calamities and trials and tribulations that they went through. And Father, may we learn from them. May we see that it is possible to go through the trials and difficulties of life as long as we focus on your word, focus on you at all times. I know sometimes it's easier said than done, but it is possible. It's not impossible. Hard is hard. Impossible is impossible. We should never blur the two. One is impossible. One is simply hard. Hard means it's doable. Impossible means it can't be done. And so faith in you can be done, though at times difficult. Help us, Father, to be under the direct influence of your spirit so that we can execute faith towards you and especially your word. We ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.